You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is another edition of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths. Joining me, as always, via the power of the internet, Mike Chappell from his Beach Grove estate, and also here in studio is Joe Hopkins. Uh, bringing you the latest Colts and NFL news this week in mid-July 2020. We will conclude our positional breakdown series leading up to training camp by looking at the Colts linebackers, defensive backs, and special teams. But we will start first with the news around the league. And, Mike, it was a significant week in terms of the negotiations between the NFL and its Players Association really beginning on Sunday when many of the league's biggest stars in a coordinated effort came out on social media in a uh, united front against what they saw as the league dragging its feet or perhaps not implementing the right safety protocols that they thought were worthwhile as teams begin to gather in these big groups in camp for practice. And we had a discussion about it Sunday that was broadcast on Fox 59 sports overtime. But uh, you were telling me that um, there, there's obviously a big difference between going back to work at a grocery store and being going back to work in the NFL, that you need a couple more parameters in place because of the ver- the nature of the game. And just the, the timeline was such that we have reached the point where it's the breaking point, that things needed to be discussed and needed to be ironed out between the NFL and the Players Association. And the players didn't think that, w- that was that was ironed out yet. And, and this past week has been really productive in terms of how the two have uh, have made a couple of decisions about how training camp is going to look. Um, but there, there's still some things to go. So, so let's, let's, let's Mike, what, what did you see as uh, things that have been um, things that were on the player's mind that really uh, the NFL and the, and the players have really been able to iron out over the past couple of days, two or three things and not, not necessarily in order, but the players got rid of the, the other two preseason games, which they did not want. So that's gone. And that and on top of that, they, which in, in, in in part with that, they want a longer acclimation period of once they get into camp, two, three weeks of strength conditioning and light work. And then we may not see guys in pads until the third week of August, conceivably. So that's, you know, they're really, really concerned about having a dozen guys come down with hamstring pulls. So they got that done. But leading into that, they've got pretty stringent uh, rules to get into the building, it takes, uh, you know, and it started this week, Colts included, the Colts rookies have started in as well, but it takes two negative tests. You take a test, you wait, I think it's 72 hours. You take a test, you wait. And once you have two negative tests, you're allowed in the building. And then once once that's done, you have daily testing for at least, at least two weeks. So there, the entire uh, objective the bottom line objective is to keep the virus out of facilities and out off the practice field. My, my concerns always been, and we talked with the NFLPA last week and theirs was as well as, is what happens when, you know, we talk Ryan Kelly gets it. And if he gets it, he's going to infect theoretically the offensive line, Phillip rivers guys he's in contact with. And that's still an issue, but the bottom line is, if, if the COVID testing works, you're not going to have the virus in the building or on the practice field because 
you have to test negative to get in the building. Now, you know, is there an issue? What I see, there's like something where like, you know, what's what's the uh, success rate of, uh, of the test? Is it 80% being effective? Well, that means there's a 20% chance somebody sneaks in. Not sneaks in, but, but, but the virus gets in. So they've done what they can, and, and the whole thing is to make certain they keep the virus out of the facility, out of off the practice field, out of the locker room, and then you can sort of go about your business. Now, one thing, one of the few things that's not been determined yet is what does practice look like? I think coaches are going crazy on what's my practice going to be. I've seen reports to where they want to limit like 15 players a session for practice, you know, and then that gets done. Then another 15 or 20 players gets out there. So we'll see how that goes. Also, which we didn't mention, one of the concessions by one of the sides is the 90 player roster is going to be cut to 80 because, you know, I thought if, if you had two preseason games, you needed 90 players without any preseason games, you don't. And this does not bode well for maybe late round picks. and certainly the undrafted, the undrafted guys, but, this is where we are, and those are the main points, unless I'm missing something. A terrible turn of events for uh, my guy, Syracuse defensive end Kendall Coleman, uh, Cathedral Zone, and other free agents across the league. Just well, and, and, and your guy, and your guys at at, at a deep possession, uh, right. deep position. So, so that makes it even more difficult. Now, maybe he's practice squad, but it's going to be hard for these guys to catch on. And that's a story, Mike, that, that you've probably done every year for about 21 years in a row now for the Colts is because the, the Colts have the longest streak in the NFL, 21 straight years, Joe, of having an undrafted free agent on the roster. And th- there is a very real possibility that streak ends this year. I still have hope for my guy, Rodrigo Blankenship. I think um, kicker is one of the positions where they will allow that competition, him and McLaughlin. So uh, I'm still holding out. I got my fingers crossed for the goggles. I'll, I'll say that. He, he, if I had to bet that Mike that that this streak continues, he would be the one that I place my money on, right? Don't you want Rodrigo and in Rigoberto? Don't you want that? Oh, yeah, as a kicking tandem. I tell you, somebody else to keep your eye on a position, offensive line. Uh, one of the undrafted guys and a botch. His name is O'Connor. Uh, the guy is a guy from Canada, I believe. Uh, I think they've they've got a couple of those guys, and I think Danny Penner, a late round picks, pretty good chance to make it, but. Position-wise, kicker, I think, I think there's a really good chance. Let's keep in mind, they signed McLaughlin to a one-year contract at the end of last year with 600 and some thousand dollars. A couple of years ago, they signed Jeff Locke, a free agent punter from Minnesota who had been in the league a few years, and he didn't make the roster. Remember, that, that's when Sanchez made it. So I think there's a chance somebody makes it. It's just going to be hard for players at established positions Although, again, I think offensive line's a possibility. But, boy, defensive end, linebacker, the secondary, running back, forget it. Uh, Wide receiver, I think it's going to be hard because they've not had those six, eight, ten weeks of of catching the coach's eye. And it's going to have to happen very quickly in camp. And and maybe this is going to be reduced to three weeks of catching the coach's eye and really, really uh, regulated practices. So this isn't the greatest year. Now, now one thing on their side is I've seen there, there's talk of, of increasing the practice squad to like 16 players. And some of that is what I've seen is you can have veterans on there. So you could put whomever, I, I can't come up with a name, let's say Zach Pascal on the practice squad 
because he, he's there and it's it's in preparation for injury. So, but at least after all this talk, and we always said deadline spur action, and the deadlines of camp opening spur action. But as you see, there's still financial issues to deal with. Players opting out, what happens to them? And then the big salary cap issue is, you know, there's talk about a you know a multi-billion dollar loss by the league. Do do you have that incorporated into next year's cap? If you did, the next year's cap would be about 110 million dollars, which would be it would just be be a major blow to veterans getting contracts. So we'll see where all this goes. It would be it would be crushing if they put it all in one year, Mike. No and, and yeah, and and some of the teams that would be like the team that would probably be worst hit is Kansas City. Just that you give this huge contract to Patrick Mahomes and Frank Clark. And uh, who, who's the defensive tackle? Jones. That's right, Chris Jones. I, I forgot his name. Like, you have those three. Tyreek Hill has a huge – like those four or five guys I saw a stat online are already making up like 80, 85 million in your cap next year. And so if it was all bundled into one year, this loss, like the Chiefs would have those guys and undrafted rookies on their team next year. Like that's that's what – not, not, not specifically. I, I'm being I'm – being, uh, over dramatic, but but you get you get the point that it would be a serious serious hit, not just to them, but for of course other teams around the league. Well, let, let's say it's a it's a much less salary. Let's say 110, 120, 20 million dollars next year. The Colts free agents: Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett, T.Y. Hilton, Marlon Mack, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, Ryan Kelly, Xavier Rhodes, Sheldon Day. I mean, Anthony Walker, Laraven Clark. So uh, Zach Pascal. So if the cap is is much much less, and you've budgeted each year to kind of keep up with the increase, and you're going to have to sign a quarterback, whether it's Philip Rivers or Dak Prescott or somebody, you need a quarterback. So the Colts would be one of those teams trying to retain their own. That's why I think they're not. They're simply not going to ju- jump all this into 2021. The union wants to kind of spread this over the next eight to 10 years, which is probably what they're going to do, because that makes sense. And, and neither side wants that culture shock of having all that, the, the lesser cap in one year. More news around the league this week. All fans that are allowed to attend games during the 2020 season are going to be required to wear face coverings when they do so. And uh, Mike, this is uh, something that you've been uh, discussing on Twitter that I've seen. I mean, obviously some teams, some stadiums in some areas in the country that are hotbeds of the virus have already said, hey, no fans at all, period. But uh, the places that haven't done that, and the Colts have not said anything like that. They've uh, sent out emails to season ticket holders and stuff, gathering their ideas or their thoughts about what they want to do for the 2020 season. There hasn't been any hard and fast rule in terms of how many fans, I don't think, at Lucas Oil Stadium just yet, at least nothing that's been announced. And like you say, like you have said on social media, Mike, that there will be a distinct advantage for teams that are allowed to have some fans inside their own stadium as a term in terms of, uh, excuse me, as as opposed to teams that do not allow fans inside the stadium. So in the in the NFL's um, interest of uniformity and equality of um, of competition, they, you might say, hey, we, we don't want fans at any stadium if a couple of stadiums are not going to be allowing. But at the same time, in the interest of making money, which is what the NFL is, a business, you're going to want as many fans in stadiums across the country that, as you can, even if it's just a handful between, I don't know, 10, 15 stadiums, maybe even 20 to 25 that, that do allow fans, Mike. But money will drive the decision. 
But the, the very first, as I remember, the very first memo the league put out back in March when, when, when uh, facilities were closed uh, because of the virus, and they said these will not – franchise facilities won't open league-wide until everyone opens. We're not going to have the New England Patriots open because their virus is in, in control until, until everyone can do it, not one can do it. But when you come to games, like you said, if you can have 15,000 people in a stadium in Green Bay, I, I think they're probably going to do it all, all again. One advantage had to be to have to go to Green Bay and play before their fans. And then maybe when you the return thing in Detroit or Chicago, you can have fans, theoretically. That's hardly a level playing field. When you look at other things that you mentioned earlier, Mike, the uh, the things that the NFL and NFLPA still have to work out together, news that we'll be looking forward to over the next week. Um, just exactly the uh, the mechanics behind training camp is going to be a, a big thing, and it, as well as the uh, the economic side of things. But um, Joe, I'm going to read uh, just a couple quick stats here. That uh, this is from J.C. Treader, the president of the uh, NFL Players Players Association, just talking about some of the research that they've done uh, recently, saying that. Um, after the uh, 2011 lockout, when there was significantly less summer practice time, um, injuries increased by 25% around the league. Achilles injuries more than doubled. Hamstring strains, Mike, you mentioned those earlier, those soft tissue injuries, went up by 44%. So exactly how players are going to be allowed to practice is going to be much different, as Mike was alluding to. Whether you get groups of 15 or 20, we'll see. Whether you're allowed to wear pads and shoulder shoulder pads, helmets, we'll see. Are you allowed to go through drills and do 11-on-11 11 11 yet? We'll see, because these are all things that, that the players want as slow at a, uh, an uptick, really, as possible in order to get, quote-unquote, back into football shape and try to avoid some of those stats, because no one wants to get to the end of training camp and have more of the elite players around the league injured than not. We'll all be happy to have football back for sure and have sports to watch on the TV. But if you're the Colts, you don't want T.Y. Hilton to start the season uh, on the injured list because he got a hamstring pull, or you don't want Malik Hooker on the injured list because he had a hamstring pull in camp. Obviously, they're going to happen across the league no matter what, but you just want to try to have as few of them as possible. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that all these changes are going to happen and the product on the field would remain the same. I mean, it's going to look different no matter what. I'm not sure how injuries don't go up. I mean, you just look at the past history you cited after 2011 with the lockout. I think injuries will be up this year. I think, I mean, the first three weeks of the league, there's always a little bit of sloppy tackling and stuff like that anyway. I think all that's just going to be amplified. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see the deepest team in the NFL might win it all this year. Whoever one, one, the deepest bench. One thing that, that it came out on Twitter, Mike Pereira, remember the former uh, NFL officiating head about no preseason games. He said, we need, we need always needed those games right. to iron out any problems and people are going to bitch and moan about officiating anyway. So now again, the first month of the season, I'm telling you, it's not going to be pretty. It won't be the best product. You're going to have missed tackles, blown coverages, quarterbacks on the wrong place, and officials making mistakes because September will be their first time in real action, real time speed to do their jobs. And we will also, when the NFL kicks off this year, have the Washington football team. Uh, on the field somewhere week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if there will be any type of mascot for the football team 
out there on the field for Washington. I don't think, I don't even think the, uh, the old Redskins had a mascot that, that I, I, I can't recall one like so many teams across the league do. Obviously the Colts have blue, but, uh, what will be in their helmet? It, what's going to be, it's going to be like the regular garnet, you know, that they typically have. And then in the yellow in the middle, it's just going to be the number of the player. So you're going to see Purdue gr- graduate Ryan Kerrigan out there with the 91 in yellow on oh, his garnet okay. helmet. So, so that, that's their plan is, is what they want to do. And I, it, it, I saw a very funny, uh, somebody tweeted something like, uh, since they obviously couldn't get, uh, couldn't figure things out for the season, it was Washington punting before the season even begins. <laughs> and, uh, that, that made me chuckle quite a bit, but, uh, yeah, the Joe, it's the Washington football team for 2020 as the, as the franchise decides look, moving forward, what they're, uh, team logo mascot is going to be i mean who, who do i need to reach out to to go pitch the swamp hogs to i mean seriously i think they would gain fans simply by naming themselves the swamp hogs mm-hmm. because it's such an interesting name um i'm all for it mike's over there kind of smirking i'm not sure he's as on board as i am <laughs> but let's get this swamp hog things going I, I won't stand in your way put it that way how about that <laughs> <laughs> so i'll take it all right so now we move into our weekly discussion about the Colts positions leading up to training camp. Our Mike Chapel has been producing content to come out of your ears over the past couple of weeks uh, about each of the Colts position groups as training camp is quickly approaching. Rookies are at team facilities already. Quarterbacks and injured players report late this week. Um, and then the full list of veterans will are is scheduled to arrive across the country in NFL camps come next Tuesday, the 28th. But uh, we are going to look at the Colts linebackers, secondary, and special teams already. We've touched on special teams, but we'll get to them in a second. We'll start with our focus on linebackers. And uh, when you look at the starting group for linebackers, you obviously have Darius Leonard and Anthony Walker, our one-two right there. Those are the guys that are going to see the vast majority of snaps on the field. Um, that is at least if Bobby Okereke, uh, he might have something to say about that though, because, uh, Bobby certainly saw more playing time as the, uh, as the year went on last year. Uh, but Mike, when you look at the Colts linebackers, those are the, the three main names. And of course it's led by Darius Leonard who will uh, be taking the vast majority of the snaps we expect in 2020. Yeah. One thing that, again, what the off season's always about are, are, companies they put out rank rankings whether it's nfl.com or pro football focus and one of the two had the colts linebacker core was it fifth or sixth in the league which tells you you know sometimes when we look at things we get either overhyped or or we get numb to it when you see the outside and some of that stuff is is garbage it just is but it's interesting that some you know nationally this group's looked at very, very favorably with Leonard Walker. Now they include Okariki. Uh, it, it's young. Uh, now, whether or not they're planning on Okariki replacing Walker, not in the lineup necessarily, but next year, because Walker is a free agent. I like to. I would like to think you can keep good young players if, if they don't want an arm and a leg. But it all starts with Darius Leonard. And if you want motivation, I wrote about this the other day. He's really PO'd about the Madden 21 rankings. That's probably Joe's area. 85? Come on. 85. And, and yeah, he, he was like tied for third, third lowest or third best on the Colts. Quentin Nelson was one. And then T, I was surprised T.Y. was above Darius Leonard considering T.Y.'s injury the last two years. But uh, that Leonard's always great, like Robert Mathis was, always finding – disrespect 
whether it's there or not. And if that works for him, fine. So, but his first two years, it's, the league's all about difference-making plays, and that's what his stat line is. It's interceptions, it's sacks, it's tackles for loss. So they've got at least one defensive cornerstone at linebacker. We'll see about Walker and Okariki, but very good group. And when you look at this group, uh, if you look at someone with the most to prove, Mike, you, you guys have both kind of alluded to it, but I think Anthony Walker probably does have the most to prove. He's, he's had good stat lines the last two years. Like he's been a productive middle linebacker, but at the same time, you have Bobby Okariki right there behind you. And there's a reason the Colts drafted him. I believe he was a third round pick two years ago. Uh, so you don't draft a guy and uh, then insert him more and more into the lineup as he continues on his rookie season if you don't have expectations for him. So the question becomes, in the future, is there a spot for all three of these guys? And and I know that we talked a little bit, especially to, to Anthony Walker over the summer when we were doing our weekly Zoom interviews with the Colts, just his, uh, just talking about, I think somebody even outright asked him if there's a, there's a space for, for all three of them. Uh, for Okariki, for himself, and for Leonard on the roster moving forward. He gave the typical boilerplate, uh, it's not my decision to make, I just go out there and I, you know, I perform and we see what happens, which, which is the right uh, mindset to have, but that, at the same time, if he's going to have, if he's going to keep a spot, I think, on this roster moving forward, Joe, it's going to come down to what Mike was talking about is those game-changing plays. You you can't just be a tackling guy, like at 110, 115. I think that's about what he's had the past couple of years, tackles. If you don't have uh, at least a couple of joint sacks, interceptions, forced fumbles in there, and you're coming up on a contract, the Colts might let you walk. Yeah, I mean, I, the writing is kind of on the wall with this one. You got Darius Leonard. I mean... To uh, give a new contract too soon, Mike ran down all the players who are going to need contract after this year. Uh, Ryan Kelly, th- the list goes on. I think Walker's going to be one of the odd men out um, because Bobby Okariki is right there behind him. And I think a big factor this year will be how does EJ Speed progress? Um, he's a rookie last year. If he could take a big step forward and be that show that he could be that reliable third linebacker, I think the Colts would feel a lot more comfortable letting uh, Walker bounce. Yeah, I, I don't know what, you know, when you say who's got the most proof, I'm not sure what else Walker can do. To, he's he's not going to be the sack guy. He's not going to be. Right. that. That's, that's if there's a knock on him, that's what it is. You know, 100 and 104 tackles two years ago. He led the team with 123 this year. I, I did see one stat where he had, was it, Four percent missed tackles, whatever, whatever it was. And again, do what you want with those stats. I think that his his problem is what a lot of Colts linebackers have had through the years. Mike Peterson, uh, Marcus Washington, very good linebackers, but not great linebackers. Which I, I hate to use that as a diss on Walker. His problem is going to be that he's a middle linebacker. He's going to give you a hundred and 10 tackles, a sack maybe, but he's not going to give you the plays that the other guys do. And then on top of that, it's the perfect storm against him where he's probably, gosh, on the list I read to you, eight, nine tenths on the priority list. And that's one where, it, to me, it's not going to be his performance that he's not back here. If he's not back here, it's going to be all about money. 
And I think, you know, you could argue Okariki has the most to prove because if he just falls off a cliff this year and looks terrible, maybe they think twice about bringing Walker back. So if Okariki goes in there and doesn't, you know, perform like he can take over and be that starting guy next to Leonard going forward, um, I I think that's really Walker's best bet at making it back because, like you said, I'm not sure what else he can do and what he's being asked to do in his role in the defense to really show that he's, you know, worth the contract, which it sounds like we're talking down about a guy who has played excellent for a fifth round pick. Right. Sure. Now, again, again, that's what it sounds like we're criticizing the guy and, and I'm not, I'm just saying he's one of those guys. I almost say he's like a guard. That's not named Quentin Nelson. You're in a position and unless you're just Quentin Nelson, you're not going to command the kind of uh, money and commitment from a team, which, that's you can be a very very good guard, but if you're not Q, it's you you tend to replace those guys. And when you look at this group as a whole, in terms of what they are going to look like when the 53 man roster comes out, I think the Colts have carried six linebackers the past couple years out of training camp. Um, seven, Mike. Sometimes seven. Sometimes okay. seven. Six or seven. It depends on who you have there who can uh, impact your special teams, of course. And once again, that's another one that we say, hey, look at a. Uh, Roosevelt Nix as a running back, if he's going to take away a spot, we've said that could be a tight end spot, depends on it could be a linebacker spot, but it's one of those special teams, quote unquote, spots that uh, that is that that type of body type, that type of person that you want, either running down the field on kickoff returns or uh, blocking in the in the backfield on punts for protection. But um, you have obviously guys like Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, Bobby Okariki, three real locks. After that, my guy, Syracuse University's own Zaire Franklin, has been one of those special teams guys over the past couple years. Um, they drafted Jordan Glasgow in the sixth round, and I think it was Chris Ballard. It was somebody. I believe it was Ballard who said that he viewed him as a core special teams player looking right. forward. So that, that's that's pretty high praise, as you say, core special teams player. It's not just, oh, we see him as a special teams player moving forward for sure. But um, that, that, that's a word that, really, that it just stuck out to me is, is from what Ballard said about him. So I'd expect him to be a guy that gets serious, serious contention for the 53-man roster. You have that. That's five guys there. Also, EJ Speed, like you said, Joe, um, a guy who was just drafted last year. Um, Sky Moore, Matthew Adams, guys from a couple years ago who was their, uh, Sky Moore is a free agent. Matthew Adams was a seventh round pick two or three years ago. Um, it, it's it, after after those guys I don't, uh, and even a couple of those will probably not be on the 53 man roster. It, it's going to be hard to to squeeze anybody else in there. Uh, that the, that's the 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 pool from which you will be picking. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see who gets those spots. Um, uh, I'm just really pulling for EJ Speed. I mean, he was extremely athletic coming out of college, went to a small school, I believe, to stay close to his brother, um, and really was an unknown entering the draft. And Ballard, you know, he just kind of fit the athletic profile he was looking for. So if that's a guy who can step up and show that he could be your third linebacker in the future, I think that's something that's kind of underrated entering the season. Yeah, one thing, like I say, it's going to be, which positions do you steal a play? Like I say, Rosie Nix kind of throws the curveball into a lot of positions. Yep. Uh, and, and also to keep your mind on defense, extremely deep on the line we talked about last week. And I'd like to get see that. I, I wish I could remember the stat on how many how often the Colts are in base defense. I thought it was like 40% of the time, which means 60% of the, 60% of the time 
you're playing two linebackers. And that's yeah. probably going to be Leonard and Okariki. So since you're only only going to play that many snaps in base, do, do you go with one less? You say yes. Well, then you say, well, but Jordan Glasgow is going to be a core special teamer. So then you add another position player there. Got, got some really tough decisions. Jerry Green, we didn't talk much about draft pick last year, which whether he's a I thought he was a defensive line. linebacker. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, but but th- this is it, it's 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 quality at the top and a lot of question marks at the bottom. So, Mike, I think I just heard you say kind of indirectly there that you expect Okariki to take over for Walker if Okariki is going to be in on those in the nickel, two in linebacker the nickel. sets. I I won't be surprised if Okariki is your nickel linebacker, Leonard. And and the odd man out. Now, now they wrote they rotation guys. They do, but I think that in a base, it's those three guys. And I won't be surprised if Okariki is your second nickel linebacker. Very interesting. I, I I like it. I would say he might, if he develops, he might be the better guy in coverage. I mean, he he's very similar athletic profile to Leonard. Very fast. Got those long arms to bat the ball down. A little taller more length than Walker has to him. So he might be able, I mean, he even showed last year, he can make some plays. Um, whereas Walker's more of a guy who he's not going to make the mistakes. He'll be reliable, but he might not make those plays that really turn the game around. So would you swap this position group of linebackers with any other in the AFC South? Mike's, uh, Mike's shaking his head right now. And you, if you reference the fact that there are national publications that put this group of linebackers for the Colts up at fifth or so nationally, I mean, it'd be hard pressed to, to, trade with any other from uh, the Titans, Texans, or Jaguars right now, Joe? Yeah, I think I'd have to go with the Colts. The Texans are pretty good um, with Cunningham and I believe Bernardrick McKinney as mm-hmm. their middle linebackers. And then um, Whitney Merciless, I think, is classified a linebacker, as a linebacker yeah. coming off the edge. Right. So when you kind of look at some of the three, four teams and who's considered a linebacker it's coming off It's kind of comparing apples edge, to oranges a little bit, it to is. be fair. It but, is. Well, but, but, to tr- but to trade with any other team, that means you're trading Darius Leonard. Right. Sure. Yeah. Which, and he's which, better he, than he, all these guys. He's one of your top five players on the team. So, but, but this is a good, I think maybe Houston was top 10 as well, their group. But uh, this is a good group again at the top. If, if one or two guys get hurt, then all of a sudden, you know, you're scrambling. But then you can say that with any, with any position, with any team. So we move on to the secondary, Mike, a group that really has been hurt by injuries in the years past, particularly down the stretch last year uh, in the uh, much uh, broken down um, scenario where Kenny Moore left the team and then they give up 30 points in four of the last five or five of the last six games last year. And Jameis Winston goes crazy and Drew Brees can't uh, throw an incomplete pass. 29 of 30. Yeah, I I I mean, one was a drop. I'm not saying it was all Kenny Moore, but I don't. I certainly don't want to understate the importance of of Kenny Moore to uh, what this Colts team does. So we look at the starters for this group at uh, in the secondary: Malik Hooker, Kari Willis, uh, Kenny Moore, Rocky Asin, and Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Xavier brought in as a free agent, a Pro Bowler last year, but really he made the Pro Bowl very much out of his. Um, What's it? What's Name the word? Rec- yeah, reputation. It, yeah, reputation is the word I was looking for. Um, it, it's he comes in as a very similar price to what Pierre Desir would have been, um, but he at least has the uh, the pedigree in the past, 
And Mike, the Colts are optimistic that they can get him back to uh, some of that Pro Bowl form that he had earlier in his career. Yeah, they had Gannon and, and Alan Williams have history with him from, from Minnesota, so they know. And, and Eberflus told us, and I forgot this, when Dallas, when he was with Dallas, they they, had, they coached the Pro Bowl one year, and, and Rhodes was there, so Eberflus saw him there. Uh, there I, that's still one of the one of the more unexpected off-season moves is when you you cut Pierre Desir basically 12 months after you gave him a three-year, $25 million contract. So there was something there. I don't know what it was. This Desir was a great guy, great locker room. Whether, whether there was that injury concern, I don't know. But they're gone from Desir, who had a bad year last year because of injuries, to Xavier Rhodes, who has really had two bad years in a row. Last year, they said his quarterback rating when throwing to him was 128. Yeah. And quarterbacks completed 84% of their passes going to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we'll see. But but they, they want to play more man-to-man, I think. And that's what Rocky Seen and Rhodes like to do. Uh, but this is one, of the, again, it's not on the level of Phillip Rivers, but it's it works or it doesn't. And one question I've got, maybe Joe or you've got a better idea, is in the base, do you start Rhodes and Yassine or Rhodes and Moore? And then in the nickel, you put Moore inside and put Yassine outside. Who are your starters in the base? I think Yassine's got to be in there. I mean, he played the most snaps out of anybody on the Colts uh, roster last year. So I, I can't imagine they take a step back from him right now, uh, Joe. So I'd I, yeah. I, I, I lock him in for one of those spots at least. Yeah, but, you, then you're t- but then you're taking your, one of your best defensive players. I, I, I'm going by the numbers that I see. Uh, yes. But Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I would, I would say you all day. He's a ascending player. He was the first pick they spent in the draft a couple years ago. You know, Rhodes is the guy he's 30. He's on the downslope of his career. Hopefully he can turn it around. But, uh, I, you know, just looking at how the players played last season, I don't see any reason why Rhodes would be on there instead of, you know, Yassine. So I think it would be Yassine and maybe Kenny Moore on the outside in two cornerback sets. I think if you want to put your best players on the field, um, that's the way you would do it. Um, I know Kenny Moore typically is used in the slot, and that's what he's more comfortable with. But, you know, when he's on the outside, he tends to hold his own there as well. So I think that'll be a situation where it'll be a, a game by game basis. Like uh, what what teams what are you putting your base defense out against? Like do sure. teams are, are they in? Are they in a double tight end set that you're using your base uh, against that doesn't have a, a slot receiver? I mean, a, um, a flank receiver on one side. I, I don't want to get too much into inside baseball here, but I, I do think it will be, Mike, a kind of a, a game by game scenario that we'll see kind of a mix of those three guys in the in the base defense based on who the Colts are playing and what that opponent is doing. And that's one of the things, one of the few things I think that I, I'm looking forward to in when we can watch practice. Yeah, because once they start going eleven on eleven, we will have an idea on, on who's where. Do they, again? Do, do they start you seeing and roads, and then they only not only because they're in sub packages sixty percent. But I think that's an interesting rotation on how they handle. And again, we get caught up. At least I do in, in who's your starter in some positions. It really doesn't matter. But your nickel linebacker and and how you do your three your three corners. I'm interested in. And after, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say that's all assuming that my boy Marvell Tell doesn't beat mm-hmm. out 
no Xavier Rhodes for the starting spot because he played pretty solid when he was in, and he, you know, he's six foot two, he's very athletic. If he can take the next jump, the Colts might have two pretty darn good young corners on the outside there. So um, I'm really hoping that Marvell Tell can kind of beat out Xavier Rhodes because there's really no long term outlook with Rhodes. So either give you a decent no. year or two, or he won't. So when you look at the Colts' backups, what they have behind behind those starting five, you mentioned Marvell Tell. After that, T.J. Carey, a guy they brought in as a free agent in the offseason. Really, he's That's a, a nickel. Slot. Yes, exactly. He's a nickel corner. The, when Kenny Moore got hurt again last year, that's where things went very much downhill. They didn't have a guy who was sufficient to step in and be a backup, at least temporarily in that spot. You bring in Carey to kind of um, stem the tide to uh, plug the uh, leaks, so to speak, if that situation happens again. You certainly don't want him to play four or five games in a row like anybody had to last year filling in for Kenny Moore, but he's a guy that can play in that uh, vein. George Odom was a free agent, an undrafted free agent a couple years ago that Chris Ballard has spoken very glowingly of over the past couple years. Uh, they like him in the um, in special team sets, and they like him as a safety, too. I've seen him out on the field from time to time. Um, we, we didn't talk too much about Malik Hooker and Kari Willis, but, um, well, we can maybe discuss that a little bit more now as we're do, doing the backups. I mean, you got George Odom and then Julian Blackman, the rookie who won't be able to play for a while since he's still recovering from his, uh, his knee injury. But, um, th- that's, that's certainly a unique group back there. Um, talking about Hooker, a guy who was not given the fifth year, um, in his rookie contract. And then Kari Willis, a second-year player that Chris Ballard traded up for in the draft last year. And whenever he does that, you open your eyes because uh, he loves him some draft picks. And when he gives some away, it means he really likes the guy he's bringing in. And we saw, obviously, the Kari Willis he loved because he slowly but surely took that starting safety spot away from Clayton Gathers last year. Now Clayton Gathers is no longer on the roster. And it's Kari Willis' spot beside Malik Hooker. Uh, those two guys are your your one-two. And then you have a little bit of backup between George Odom, Blackman, and maybe Roland Milligan there. There's a couple of undrafted free agents that probably won't get too much of a look. Um, I mentioned Isaiah Rogers as a backup cornerback and kick returner as well, guy they drafted in the sixth round this past year. So th- there's a lot of names on here. There's a lot of young talent. The, um, the, the veteran of the group really is Xavier Rhodes, who they bring in as, as a veteran. Um, TJ Carey, I'm not exactly sure, Joe, how old TJ Carey is. I'm sure, I, I don't think he's he's... Super he's around 27, yeah. I think Rhodes is like 29 to 31 in that range, so he's he's the elder statesman of the group. So, it, so it's a young group, it's a group that has some guys who have shown their ability, like Kenny Moore being one of the highest paid. I think he was made the highest paid slot corner last year when he signed his contract. Um, I don't know if that's still the case now, I'd have to look it up. But Malik Hooker has something to prove, Kari Willis has something to prove. Uh, Kenny being that has something to prove rock. You seen certainly like th- this is an entire group, Mike, that that every single person has something to prove in this cold secondary. When I look at from from top to bottom, no one more than Malik Hooker. I, again, we talk about where do, where do players find motivation? Well, his came when the team didn't exercise the fifth year option. So, I mean, it, w- it would have been like six point seven million, which for a starting safety. That's that's reasonable money, uh, but they're really really concerned. Maybe is a strong word, but they worry about his ability to stay on the field. He's missed a ton of games, and is he a great fit in this in this defense where maybe you play more two deep safeties and he's not the center fielder? Remember Chuck Pagano called him Ed Reed. 
that was not good. No, and, and to his credit, Chris Ballard said, ah, not so fast. But I, I think it, it, it's going to be it, – it's easy to, to get down on Malik Cooker because he's missed games. When he's played, he's played at a decent level, occasionally giving you those wild plays. The interception against Phillip Rivers was ridiculous. The ground he covered. Remember, Rivers said, well, yeah, I saw him, but I didn't think he could get there. And he right. did. But the injuries are just impossible to ignore. Uh, he had some surgery last year. Was it minor knee? Minor, it wasn't on me. So knee surgery, I believe it was. But if he has a big year, which that's relative, five, six interceptions, do you try to re-sign him? I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to be a lot more expensive than what it would have been to do the one-year, you know, option on him. So, I think Cooker's got the most to prove just because the team said we sort of like you, but we sort of don't like you that much. Yeah, Joe, I think if, if Hooker has continues to have the type of year that he's had in the past, uh, maybe a couple flashes here and there, but but not not the wow oh my goodness, Pro Bowl type season. I don't think there's a way that the Colts bring him back because they have a couple of younger guys there and they drafted Blackman this past year. He'd probably fit in another scheme better. I've talked in the past, like I, everybody knows who listens to the Colts Blue Zone podcast that I love Malik Hooker and I love safeties and I think he's a great player. But a great he, quote, great quote too. Great quote. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, all, and that's why another reason why, why I love him. You love great quotes in the locker room. You need guys like that if you're the media, but um, I, I think that they probably look elsewhere just based on trying to read the tea leaves about the moves that have happened so far. Well, and you almost get the sense that, you know, he's a first round draft pick and they brought him in to be, you know, the Darius Leonard of the safety group. And really what he's given you so far has been closer to what Anthony Walker has given you. He's, he's been cons- consistently good, but the greatness has been very inconsistent, um, which is not what they thought they were getting when they drafted him. They thought they were getting a great player. Chuck Pagano thought they were getting an all-time great player. Um, and the scheme has changed. They aren't using him like they originally drafted um, him to be used in, in his role. I have a question here. There's a disgruntled safety in New York by the name of Jamal Adams. Yes. Hooker yes. Adams right now. Yes. What do you think the Colts would have to give up to get Jamal Adams? I was going to say, Mike, Mike got the yes out very <laughs> quickly there. To flip yes, I, yes I would, and it would be so expensive. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I don't know. Would it take a second-round pick, a first-round pick? I don't know. Oh, I don't think so. I think it would take Malik Hooker plus, obviously. I think it would oh, take – you're talking Hooker. I, I just – I think Adams is one of those elite players. I don't know that you get him for a third-round pick. I just don't. I Maybe I'm way wrong. I think he's in the final year of his contract. He wants out. He doesn't want to be in New York. He's made that pretty clear. I, 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 if I'm Chris Ballard and I just put my, you know, Madden 21 cap on, I, I'm offering Hooker and maybe a third or fourth round pick or Hooker, and maybe Anthony Walker, something wow. like that. Um, Hooker and one of our de- Jets need defensive ends. Maybe Hooker and one of the defensive end, you know, we're very deep at that position. I think something can be done here. As long as we're in fantasy land, I'd like Carson Wentz as well. If we can, <laughs> if we can bring in a nice young quarterback. Okay, with, with, with your GM hat on, then if if you, let's say you do the trade, let's say it's Hooker and a three, and you do it, then what's your five year contract going to be for him? Because he's not going to. Yep. It's going to be a lot. You can't do all of that without. It's going to look close to Buckner's. Yeah, you well, you don't just bring him in and leave him on the last year of his deal. You bring him in and sign him. 
right now. That's that's what it's got to be. And he plays a very similar position to what you know they would ask Kari Willis to do, kind of be a little more in the box, a little less coverage, a little more closer to the line of scrimmage. So I, I just thought that was a fun question to throw out there. It is. Now I'm I'm interested to see what Julian Blackman does when whenever we see him on the field. Whatever. Exactly. Whenever that's going to be. So um, they, they, I think a lot of the what we see at the end of the year with the secondary will depend on what Julian Blackman can do, because I imagine the Colts are going to want to get him involved in the lineup when he's back. He was a third round pick this mm-hmm. year in the draft. So I mean, that's when you're drafting the third round, you want to play the guy. You want to see him out there on the field in, in year one. You might not want him to be a starter in year one, but you want him to play a role. So I'd expect to see Blackman on the field when he is ready to do so in a very limited sense right away. But uh, but you will see him when he is healthy and he is out there. Would you swap the uh, defensive backs for the Colts with any other group in the AFC South? We got the Texans, the Titans, the Jaguars, Mike. I was I was looking. I couldn't find my depth charts. So I, I just don't know. But Jacksonville's gotten rid of their secondary. Yeah, it's not them. I'll give you that. I, I, I would I would say maybe Tennessee, but I I need to see what Tennessee has. But because they got rid of uh, who's your corner, uh, Lo- Ryan uh, Ryan Logan Ryan Logan Ryan Logan Ryan. I yeah, it wouldn't take a heck of a lot to have me switch positions because I kind of like this, but God, there's so many questions. There, there are just so many questions in this. To me, this is probably the the the, the most concerning area of the team. And that's why I hope that uh, Justin Houston and DeForest Buckner can really increase the pass rush. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to see this secondary back there. While you four, know, five, six seconds. Quarterbacks are just patting and patting. And I can just see the wide receivers just running right past Savior Rhodes. I'd rather not <laughs> have that image. Yeah, no. What about you, Dave? Would you trade? I like. I, I'm really very much on the fence with Mike when it comes with uh, the Titans, um, and and since and since I'm on the fence, I would probably say yes to switch to the Titans just because I know the Colts secondary much better. And if if by just a little bit of research looking into looking into them, it's almost enough to convince me. You know, I'm 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 like maybe I should um, just because I I think I'm I'm very close to the Colts secondary and I like just mentally close is what I mean. Like I, I know their, their strengths a lot better. And I like, I love Malik hooker and I think Kenny Moore is a, is a very good nickel cornerback, but I think that there, there, there are definite, um, weaknesses within this group as well that, uh, that can, can be exploited and have been exploited in recent years. I think I would stick with the Colts. I think Rocky sin is going to establish himself as a, if not a stud, a high-quality cornerback this year. Um, I think Kenny Moore is one of the best cornerbacks in the game right now based on what he's asked to do. And then I think Kari Willis is a guy who's going to be your starter for the next three years easily. So I think right there, that's three building blocks of young, talented players. And then Malik Hooker's a wild card, but he's he would start on any team in the NFL as well. So I think I'm going to roll with the Colts on this one. And, and here's the deal, uh, Joe, when, when like, I know you, you picked the Colts defensive line out of anyone in the AFC South, you picked the Colts linebackers out of anybody in the AFC South, you picked the Colts secondary out of a, everyone in the AFC South. So and they have the best defense in it. And that's fine. Like you go into the, you go into the season thinking that, that that's great. But then like when, when that's, when that's your benchmark, just, you got to know that, uh, like this, I don't know, man. This this group has has been 
has been there the past couple of years, and it hasn't been the best defense in the AFC South. They've played great games. They've shown great potential, like the Kansas City game last year. There's just there's been too much inconsistency, and that's the thing that needs to change this year. And I think a lot of it, too, comes down to the rest of the AFC South. I mean, Jacksonville's dismantled their team. You ask us a year ago, a lot of these answers are, yeah, I'd trade that for what Jacksonville has. Yeah, the defensive line last year. I mean, Yannick and, uh, yeah. Who, who, knew, who, knew those, who knew those guys were available? So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you, could, you could have got out and rebuilt your defense with those guys. Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Kaylee's exactly. Campbell. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it is just the AFC South has fallen back. I mean, Houston's defense isn't what it once was. Um, Jay Davion Clowney's gone. Yeah. Clowney's mm-hmm. gone. Even Tennessee, we mentioned they lost Logan Ryan and first round pick of Dory Jackson. Jarrell Casey. Jarrell Casey. Um, yeah, they didn't lose Dory Jackson, but he hasn't lived up to his first round pick billing. So, I think a lot of it is the Colts added players and mm-hmm. on paper got better, whereas the rest of the AFC South kind of subtracted. So let's turn our attention to special teams. Uh, Mike, as you say in uh, online at fox59.com, that uh, the the past uh, 10 plus years, you've known who's going out there to, to take your field goals and your extra points, and you've never felt better about a kicker in your entire life, um, seeing, uh, seeing a guy out there in your colors, if you're a Colts fan, lining up to take the kick. Last year, obviously, it got a little dicey, uh, and that's why we no longer see Adam Vinatieri out there. But uh, there's there's a lot of... The, the most important position uh, on special teams is certainly the kicker, because he's the one that puts points on the board. And it's going to be a battle, as we alluded to earlier in this Colts Blue Zone podcast, between Chase McLaughlin and the undrafted rookie Rodrigo Blankenship to take the starting spot this year. Yeah, I would think it's it's McLaughlin's to lose, I guess, because he's done it at this level. Uh, what was he five out of six with the Colts last year? He was—I I forgot I, last year he was a rookie. Yep. Uh, so so, and then you bring in a rookie. So I I, I just—you're right. That's the most important position because again, if if Vinny makes three kicks last year, this team's in the playoffs. It just is with all the injuries with with Brissett. Uh, I went back and looked. The Colts have had whoever the kicker is. It'll be the sixth kicker in Colts history to kick on opening day. Only six. Hmm. So since 1984, they've had five kickers on opening day. You know, Vinatieri, Vanderjack, Kerry Blanchard, Dean Biasucci, and Raul Alegre. I was trying to find some comparisons. It's kind of it's kind of laborious to do. I'm back to 1990. And Dallas had 12. <laughs> so it's what, what the Colts have had, and it's the same at punter. They, they've had just a handful of punters and long snappers. So they've had very good fortune of finding guys and finding the right guys. Again, with the Hunter Smiths and McAfee's and now Sanchez. So uh, it's this will be a year to where you're just sort of crossing your fingers on your kicker. Joe, do you think the long-term answer at kicker is on the roster right now? Do you think it's going to be your boy, Rodrigo, for the next uh, 15 years? My heart says, or at least like five. I'm not <laughs> sure if he's the next, you know, Vinatieri or anything. But uh, I, I, And part of it is just the name, the goggles. And he was a darn good kicker in college as well at Georgia. Um, so I, I really, if I had to put money down right now, I would say Blankenship wins the job over McLaughlin, which, you know, he, Played well last year. He's never done giving me any reason to really doubt him, but I, I just got a soft spot for Blankenship. 
Um, I want to talk about the returners because, mm-hmm. in theory, this could be an exciting group if Hines continues to do what he did against Carolina. Um, you know, I saw on Twitter the other day he's out there practicing catching those punts. Um, he had the machine shoot the ball way up in the air, and he's like across the street in some neighborhood fielding them. Um, so if he can become a force as a returner and heck, maybe Isaiah Rogers with his, uh, legendary four two eight speed that he, uh, allegedly has, maybe the Colts can get something exciting out of their return game for once. Yeah. The, what, what Naheem Hines was able to show Mike against the Carolina Panthers was finally eye opening that like, this is kind of a reason that you drafted him a couple years ago. And uh, save a, a very disappointing preseason as a rookie where he dropped a couple of punch or dropped a couple of kicks, fumbled a couple of times. Now he's back in there. And that, that's his spot to lose for sure. Looking forward. Yeah. And, and his problem is going to be he's got a bullseye in his back now. People yes. know what he can do. So so it's going to be harder because do they just kick to him? I don't think he's at the point that they're going to kick to him. I think they're going to say prove it to us again. And then if you if you burn somebody. Then they'll quit kicking to him, but I, I'm just not so sure that that's not going to be his really main role. I, I, I want to see how he does, how they use him on offense, if they can use him on offense correctly or not correctly, but enough. But boy, special teams uh, and you're you know on kick returns, Pascal's probably your default guy because you know he's going to do nothing stupid. But Rodgers may be the kind of guy, I mean, he, he set records in college uh, w- with what he can do. And that's, although they sort of de-emphasized kickoffs to the point that I wouldn't carry a guy simply to be my kick returner at all. Boy, punt returns, you can swing a game. We've seen it happen for and against these guys. That's where Hines has got a really good chance. What was it, 194 yards, 191 yards, whatever it was against Carolina? It's like fourth most in, in league history hmm. for a game. So, and, and it was a team record. The two touchdowns were team records. So that's where he really gives you, you know, field flipping potential. I like what he brings there. So if you could look around the AFC South, Joe, uh, do you think you trade this Colts unit for, uh, for any of the other uh, units out there? Definitely not the Titans who are, you know, their kicking situation is just as grim. Um, Lambo is a solid kicker and he's a really good kicker. Yeah. yeah had a great might, year last year. I might trade it with Jacksonville and they also drafted LaVisca Shane Nault, who is a great, you know, very good, uh, talented return man too. So if, if he qualifies, he's a second round pick. I think I would trade with Jacksonville. I think I, and I agree, Mike, I, I think the Jacksonville has a very intriguing special teams unit that, uh, we'll probably get a lot of play this season, especially the punter, Logan Cook. But uh, nevertheless, when and also the return men, because they're going to be returning a lot of kicks when uh, teams score a lot against them. So they're going to get a lot of opportunities to shine. And uh, and heck, if they can drive a little bit, they'll probably stall out sometime between uh, 30 and 20 yards. And then Josh Lambeau will get plenty of opportunities. So uh, I, I say this all tongue in cheek, but I do think the Jaguars have a pretty good special teams unit. It reminds me when the Colts were really crappy back in the 80s and early 90s and and their Pro Bowl players were their kicker, their punter, and occasionally Clarence Ferdinand, their return guy. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool for those guys. But when those are the only players you got mentioned for a Pro Bowl, it's not a good thing. No, less than a good thing. So, 
Um, that that's that's all the positions. We've got them all now online. You can check them out online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, and go on to the sports page, see what Mike has to think. As uh, very shortly now, NFL veterans, as of next Tuesday, before we get to our next Colts Blue Zone podcast, we'll be reporting to team facilities across the country. So next week, I'm sure we'll probably hear from a few players, maybe Coach, uh, maybe Chris Ballard. Uh, those are all things that are happening in the near future. Uh, I know because I reached out to the Colts this week just talking about some safety issues with camp. They're like, let's let's hang on until uh, until Chris is uh, is speaking with the media about some of these questions you have. So and, and which is perfectly fine uh, that, um, that like, I'll wait for Chris. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can talk to Chris and um, and we can get uh, get some things ironed out. And as we look forward to a what's going to be a rather unique camp. So we still do plan on Mike Chappell being out there for most uh, most days of training camp. Uh, it seems like we're going to be allowed to do that. We're going to have, of course, video that we'll have uh, on, on the broadcast here in central Indiana, Fox 59 and CBS 4. Um, so, Joe, I'm sure that you have some things that you have planned for camp as well. And, of course, we'll continue to do the Colts Blue Zone podcast throughout these next couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll just have to see what we're able to do at yeah. camp. I remember last year we did a podcast live out at training camp. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do that this year from the parking lot outside of Colts headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But um, yeah, we'll definitely just have to stay, take it step by step. See what we do. When you talk to Ballard, can you ask him about Jamal Adams for me? I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll say, <laughs> can you get Jamal Adams in here? Thank you. I, I would appreciate that. So that's the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us throughout the week on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. I'm sure that he'll be churning out content as fantasy football season is getting close as well. I am at Dave G underscore sports. And we thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We will see you next week as training camp is shortly to begin.